First Baptist Melbourne podcast, making disciples here and everywhere for the glory of God. Fathers, we bow before you. Lord, we thank you that you are always faithful to us, even when we are faithless. Thank you that you are true, that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. Lord, would you speak to us now through your word and by your Spirit's power that each of us might hear the word we need to hear from you today. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bible today, and I hope you do, would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 23. This is the fourth and final week in this teaching series called Four Reasons Not to Become a Christian. And as we've said each week in this series, our our goal, of course, is not really to try to dissuade you from becoming a Christian. We believe that Christ is the Savior that we all desperately need. But what we're doing in this series is we're seeking to respond to uh, four of the most common reasons that people give for why uh, they don't want to become a Christian. And today we come to reason number four. Christians are hypocrites. This is perhaps the most common objection given of all. Last Monday evening, filmmaker Michael Moore put up this common quote on his Facebook page. Quote, rather than putting Christ back in Christmas, I'd settle for putting Christ back in Christians. Again, this statement is not original with Michael Moore and isn't in itself terribly surprising, but as writer Dave Urbanski pointed out at theblaze.com, what is unusual is the response that this meme solicited. By the following morning, uh, Moore had received 33,000 likes and over 900 comments on his post. And some of the comments were uh, harsher than the meme itself. One person said this, quote, I discovered many years ago that I was far more Christian in deeds than anyone I knew that went to church. In fact, I knew many church Christians who were horrible people that I can never associate with. Another one said, quote, it will be a better world when Christianity is just a historical memory. It is not just Michael Moore or his commenters on his Facebook page where we find this attack that we are all hypocrites. The reality is we hear this attack. I hear it from my friends. You hear it from your friends. You hear it from family members sometimes. You hear it from co-workers around the water cooler. Perhaps even some who are here today would say, you know what, I, I, I've even thought that. I, I even feel that way, that Christians are really just a bunch of hypocrites. As Randy Newman points out, the hypocrite question can be phrased in a number of different ways. Sometimes it's, it's framed in a historical Way. Someone will say, uh, well, why have Christians perpetrated so much evil throughout the centuries? What about the Crusades? Or what about the Spanish Inquisition? Or other examples will be given. And sometimes it's more personal. Sometimes people will phrase it this way. How come some Christians I know 
are meaner than some non-Christians I know. Sometimes people will even pick out a particular person and they'll say, isn't so-and-so supposed to be a Christian? I thought Christians were supposed to be kind or loving or faithful or whatever so-and-so is not being at that particular moment. And you know, as Christians, we do need to acknowledge that there's a lot more truth in this charge of hypocrisy than we would like to admit. Here is the simplest definition of hypocrisy that that I could find. Hypocrisy is saying one thing and doing another. Right? Saying one thing and doing another. And if that is what hypocrisy is, we understand that there are some examples of hypocrisy that are more egregious than others. Right? There, There are some who aren't even trying to do and live out what they say they believe. They are total phonies. And that kind of hypocrisy bothers us most of all, and it should. But, and we're going to talk a lot more about this later on, hypocrisy is actually something that all of us are guilty of, at least on occasion. There's nobody in this room, myself included, who perfectly lives out all the time what we say we believe. And so the charge of hypocrisy is a relatively easy charge to levy against someone because, well, it sticks, right? There's some, there's some truth there. And in a few minutes, we'll talk about why that is the case. But one thing that's important to remember is that not everybody who says that, not everybody who says Christians are a bunch of hypocrites says it for the same reason. Again, Newman points out some of the different reasons why people might say that. Some people say it because they're trying to justify themselves. And so some people will throw out that charge that Christians are a bunch of hypocrites, but they're really not looking for a well-reasoned response from you uh, responding to that attack of hypocrisy, because that's really not what is keeping them from Christ. What's keeping them from Christ is that they don't want Jesus to be their Lord. They want to be their own Lord. In reality, that's the truth for many folks who use many of the reasons that we've talked about in this series. And so in this case, they're using the hypocrisy charge as a sort of weapon to tear down the church, to tear down what the Bible says, to tear down the witness of other Christians, because if they can blow holes in what we are saying, well, then they don't have to listen to any of it, and they can keep on living the way that they want to live, and to boot, they can feel better about themselves in the process, because we're all just a bunch of hypocrites anyway. This is what John said in John chapter 3. This is the condemnation that the light has come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds, his deeds, should be exposed. And so some people talk about hypocrisy in other people's lives because they're just trying to justify themselves. But we need to realize this also. That when some people talk about hypocrisy, they're doing so because they have been hurt by people in the church. And so when they talk about all the hypocrites in the church, they're not talking about that in a generic sense. They have someone's face in their mind. 
They, they have a, a picture in their mind of someone who has hurt them, and maybe that's you. Maybe you have that picture in your mind of someone in your past who claimed to be a Christian who has hurt you. For some, it's the stories that we've seen over the past few years of all of the priests who have abused innocent little children who are under their care. For some of you, it might have been a, a, your own pastor of a church that you attended that you looked up to and you, you thought he was the real deal until you found out that he wasn't and he ran off with his secretary and he left his wife. Or maybe it was another Christian role model in your life who treated you in a terribly unchristian kind of way. But whoever it was, someone in the church, sometime in your past, claimed to be a Christian and did not treat you Christianly. And it has hurt you. It has wounded you. Perhaps it has even left you disillusioned. You had hoped that there was such a thing as beauty and holiness and righteousness in the world. But now you're just not sure there really is. And if that is you, I am so sorry that that has happened to you. And I'm praying especially for you today that the God who loves you would speak to you in a way that you would hear him. He would speak to your heart. And there are those also who speak about hypocrisy because they're genuinely bothered. They're, they're, they're bothered by the hypocrisy that, that they see. And they just don't honestly know how to reconcile the, the hypocrisy they see when they read in the history books of the evils that some Christians have done under the banner of Christ. Or, or they look around them in the world today at some of the things that people do under the banner of Christ. And they just can't, just can't reconcile that. And, and church, when that is the case, when someone is outraged about a real legitimate evil that is happening in the world, we should join them. Right? We should be just as outraged as they are because we are a people who are called to hate sin. We are a people who have been taught to pray by the Lord Jesus, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we should be outraged and bothered also when we see his will not happening on earth as it is in heaven, especially when that is happening because of Christians who are doing unchristian things. So there's a lot of different angles that, that this attack can, can come to us in. It can be framed in a lot of different ways. And our responses to the people who are bringing up this question should be different based upon the heart behind it and why the person is raising this issue in the first place. But with all of those, those variations in mind, when we open God's word, there are some truths. There, there, are, there is a bedrock that we can go to. As we wrap our minds around this complex issue of hypocrisy. And so in the time that we have left, I want to share with you four truths from the Word of God about hypocrisy. And here, here's the first one. Some Christian, and I use that in air quotes, some Christian hypocrites are actually lost people who claim to know God, but who really don't know God. And so sometimes when a person says this, I just can't see how a Christian can do that, sometimes the answer is, you're right. Because the person that you are talking about may not actually be a Christian no matter what they claim. And that should be expected because Jesus told us that there would be people like that in this world who claim to know God but who 
don't actually know God. In fact, in Matthew 23, the passage that is open before you, this is one of the places where Jesus says that. In fact, this is one of the most scathing critiques that Jesus gives to any group of people anywhere in the Bible. And the group of people that he says all of this about in Matthew 23 is a group of people known as the Pharisees. And, you know, in our world today, even that word Pharisee has just become associated with hypocrite, right? You think about hypocrite, you think about the Pharisees. And the reason that we do that is because of what Jesus says right here. And, and for us, that's not shocking. We hear Pharisee, we think hypocrite. But for the people of Jesus' day, this was shocking. Because the people of Jesus' day held the Pharisees up on a pedestal. They were up so high, they were in the clouds, these were the most spiritual, religious people in Israel. These were people who had memorized much of the Old Testament, had memorized the first five books of the Bible, the law of Moses. These were Bible scholars. These were people that other people looked at them and said, they're so holy, there's no way I could ever be like a Pharisee. And yet all throughout this chapter, Jesus says they're not really holy at all. And in fact, they don't even know God. I wish we had time to read this entire chapter, but even just looking at a few verses will help us to see this reality that not everybody who says they know God actually does. First off, Jesus said there will be many people who talk the talk, but who do not walk the walk. Well, look at verse 3 with me. Jesus says, Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do, but do not do according to their works. For they say... And they do not do. So Jesus says these people have been put in a position of leadership. Uh, they've been given the authority to teach from the word of God. And so do what they say as long as it comes from the Bible. He says do what they say, but don't do what they do because they're not doing what they say. And we have an expression for that, don't we? We say they don't practice what they preach. And the Pharisees were not the last people in the history of the world to be like that, were they? As you read on in this chapter, Jesus doesn't just say that they didn't walk the walk. He says a lot more than that. And he says that there's a lot of people, including these Pharisees, who know a lot about the Bible, but who are not going to heaven. Look at verse 13. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in yourselves nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. So we'll come back to that last phrase in a minute, but notice what it says about the Pharisees. Jesus says, you're not entering into the kingdom of heaven yourself unless you repent, unless you turn back to me. Right now, you are not on a path that leads to heaven over and over. In fact, eight times in this chapter, Jesus says, woe to you. Woe to you, woe to you. We could define what that word woe means, but I don't think we really need to. When Jesus says eight times to you, woe to you, that's not a good day. And, and not only does he say woe to you, but he calls them hypocrites, and he calls them that over and over and over again as well. And that's not a good thing either, because when Jesus calls you a hypocrite, Jesus knows you really are one. Because Jesus sees our hearts and he knew that these people, even though they were widely, highly respected by their own generation, he knew that they were spiritual pretenders, that they were not the real deal, that they were not humble enough to come to Jesus, to the Savior that they all really needed. He knew that they liked to look pretty on the outside, but on the inside they were full of dead man's bones. 
And Jesus says not only were they not going to heaven, he says that they were actually making it harder for other people to go to heaven as well. Look at the end of verse 13. He says, you neither go in yourself, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. And then look at verse 15. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You travel land and sea to win one proselyte, and when he is one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourself. Whoa. I mean, this is strong language from Jesus, isn't it not? He's saying, you guys go on mission trips. You you travel land and sea to try to win somebody. And when you win them, you're trying to make them like yourself. But the problem with that is, is you're lost. And you're not on your way to heaven yourself. And so when you make them like yourself, they're just twice as much a son of hell as you are. And what is my point with all this? It's simply this. If the most religious people of Jesus's day weren't really saved and weren't actually on their way to heaven, then there are a lot of people today who claim to be Christians, who claim to know God, who outwardly live very religious lives, who are hypocrites in the same sense of the word that the Pharisees were. They are total phonies who do not know God and will not be in heaven unless they repent and are born again. And so here is what I would say to the skeptic who points, for example, to a story that they see on TV about this famous TV preacher who ends up being revealed as a womanizer who is stealing all this money from people and flying around the world on his private airplanes and then says, see, I told you that Christians are all just a bunch of hypocrites. And what I would say in response to that is while only the Lord knows that person's heart, probably that person is not a Christian at all. Probably he's exactly what you think he is, a 100% total phony pants. He doesn't know the Lord. Jesus told us that his followers will be known by their fruit. And so if someone has unchristian, non-Christian fruit growing all over their lives, then probably that means that they're not a Christian. Now, nobody is, is born a Christian. Nobody is, becomes a Christian because they're born into a Christian family. Nobody is a Christian just because they say they're a Christian. Jesus said we all must be born again. And many people who say they have been born again, according to Jesus, have not been. And so I would contend with you that a lot of so-called Christian hypocrisy is perpetrated by non-Christians masquerading as Christians who, like the Pharisees, do not know God at all and will not be with God in heaven unless they repent and are born again. And some of them, like some of the TV preachers that I mentioned to you, they know exactly what they're doing. And they are charlatans who think that, as it says in Timothy, godliness is a means of personal gain. And then there are others who genuinely think they are saved, but who are not, and who are self-deceived. 
And Jesus talked about that in Matthew chapter 7. He said that on that judgment day, there's going to be many people who stand in front of Jesus and say, Lord, Lord. They call him Lord and they list all the things that they think they've done for God. And Jesus will look at them and say to them something I hope he doesn't say to anyone in this room. Depart from me. I never knew you. And that's why we have to do what the scripture tells us to do. We have to examine ourselves to see whether we are really in the faith. And if we're not, we need to turn to Jesus before that day comes and it is too late. But friend, again, a lot of so-called Christian hypocrites are actually lost people who claim to know God, but they don't. And a lot of Christian hypocrisy is committed by people who aren't actually Christians at all. But with that said, here is truth number two, and this is important for all of us to take in. All Christians, all Christians are on some level hypocritical because there are no perfect Christians this side of heaven. And I can't think of any better place to see that than in Galatians chapter 2. If you turn to the right a few pages, you will run into Galatians. And Paul wrote this letter to the churches of Galatia, to warn them because he said they're so quickly turning away from the true gospel that Paul had preached to them, a gospel of salvation by grace through faith, and they're adding on all of these works and they're adding on all these man-made rules to it. And Paul is throwing up warning flags and, and signals and he's saying, stop, stop, you're going the wrong way. He's saying to the church at Galatia, you were saved by grace through faith, and that's how you're going to grow in your faith, by grace, not by this whole long list of man-made rules. And so as a part of his argument, he brings up this incident that happened that involved the apostle Peter. And look in chapter 2 of Galatians in verse 11. Now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, If you, being a Jew, live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live like Jews. You know, when you stop and think about it, this is an epic confrontation. I mean, here you have Peter and Paul, and you throw in Mary, you've got some really great music, but you got Peter and Paul. I mean, these are the the two guys that the book of Acts is basically divided in half, right, on, on their two ministries. And you've got mono imano, Peter and Paul, and you have got Paul calling Peter on the carpet. Now, what what happened here? Well, what happened was that Peter left Jerusalem, and he he went to Antioch. And Antioch was kind of the home base of of ministry for the Apostle Paul, where his ministry to the Gentiles happened. And when Peter first got there, he he didn't treat the Gentiles any differently than the Jewish people. He would eat with them. Uh, Almost certainly, he would take the Lord's Supper with them. Uh, He didn't see any difference in them at all. And of course, Peter shouldn't have seen any difference in them at all, because if you remember in Acts chapter 10, God had already taught him this lesson. In Acts chapter 10, Peter had a vision. He was on that rooftop, a vision of a big sheet coming down from heaven. It had a lot of unclean food and clean food all mixed together on it. And and the Lord said, Peter, rise up, kill, and eat. And Peter said, I can't do that, God. I've never eaten that unclean food in my life. And God said, Peter, you don't call unclean the things that I have now called clean. 
And God wasn't just talking about food. God was teaching them a lesson about people because right then he got a ring on the doorbell if they had those back then. And the first Gentile convert came to know Christ. God was teaching Peter not to treat people differently, that the gospel is open to everyone, to Gentiles and to Jewish people. And so Peter, when he first got to Antioch, it seemed like he learned his lesson well. Again, he ate with them and he fellowshiped with them. But then in verse 12, it says, everything changed when some other people came to town who were from James. That doesn't mean that James sent them, but it means that James was the leader of the Jerusalem church. And these were people who came from Jerusalem. And these people were legalists, they were Judaizers, and they didn't like the idea at all of Jewish Christians eating with these filthy Gentiles. And Peter Peter knew how they thought. Peter knew that they weren't going to like what he had been doing. And so what it says in the text is that Peter began to withdraw. That's the language, kind of just slowly, just kind of backed away, just kind of stopped hanging out with the Gentiles as much, you know, stop accepting those invitations to dinner. And and he just kind of began to act differently. And, And I think what bothered Paul most of all is it wasn't just Peter doing that. Some of the other Jewish believers started doing that. In fact, it even says that Paul's companion and partner in the ministry, Barnabas, the encourager, he even started doing that. Because Peter was so influential. And so Peter's hypocrisy was beginning to spread to other people. His hypocrisy was beginning to to permeate the church. And he calls it hypocrisy because Paul knew that Peter knew better. Peter had not changed his theology Peter had not changed his gospel. He still knew that the gospel was open to everyone who believes, to Jewish people and Gentile people. What Peter was doing was not a change based on theological conviction. What Peter was doing was he was afraid. And he cared about what those people thought about him. And he said, oh my goodness, they're going to go back to Jerusalem. What are they going to say about me? What are people going to think about me? I can't let that happen. I, I probably just need to just for a little bit just kind of back away. What he was doing was hypocrisy. He was saying one thing and he was doing another. You know, we've been picking on Peter, but, but Paul, who, who calls Peter to the carpet here, he said in Romans chapter 7 that there were many times in his own life where he lived in a way that was different from how he believed. That he wasn't always consistent with what he wanted to do, what he knew was right. Listen to these words in Romans 7. Paul says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For what I'm doing, I don't understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice, but what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it's good, but now it's no longer I who do it, but, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I don't find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil that I will not to do, that's what I practice. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it's no longer I who do it, but sin who dwells in me. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And Paul goes on to say, only the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, if if hypocrisy is saying one thing and doing something else, then both Peter and Paul 
were guilty at times of hypocrisy. Those are two of the greatest Christians who ever lived. None of us in this room, I assure you, are doing any better than Peter and Paul. And so at times, we all as Christians live in a way that's inconsistent with what we believe. And that's true even if we really are born-again Christians who are on our way to heaven. And here is why that's the case. The Bible does not teach anywhere that the moment you put your faith in Christ, you transcend to a plane of spiritual perfection. In fact, the Bible says the opposite. In 1 John, it says, anyone who says he has no sin is a liar and the truth is not in him. No, as we journey with Christ in this thing called sanctification, it's a process. As we grow in Christ, as we walk with Christ, and you know what? There's going to be peaks and there's going to be valleys. And there's going to be successes and there's going to be failures along this journey. But slowly by slowly, day by day, year by year, as we walk with Christ, he makes us more like himself. And I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that the day I got saved, uh, the Holy Spirit did not reveal to me the one million things in my life that are not like Christ. Right? Aren't you thankful for that? I couldn't handle that. But what he's doing is a little bit at a time, he's revealing more and more stuff that doesn't look like Jesus as he's conforming me to the image of Christ. And what it says in the Bible is I'm not going to look just like Jesus until I'm with Jesus in heaven. You know what? If the only people who were allowed to come into this church were perfect people, there wouldn't be anybody here. (laughs) Right? I know I wouldn't be here because only the Lord knows what a sinner I am. And only the Lord knows how much grace he has shown me in my life. And I'm thankful for his grace every single day. And so, you know, the next time somebody says to you the church is full of of hypocrites, you might take them off guard a little bit if you just said, you know what, you're exactly right. And I'm one of them. Because on some level, we all are. None of us live 100% hypocrisy-free lives. We're all sinners, even the apostles, Peter and Paul. But here's the third truth. And we need to take this truth to heart as well. Even though we have said that all Christians are hypocrites at times. Number three, our hypocrisy is still sin. And our sin may be keeping people from knowing Jesus Back in Galatians chapter 2, that's the real reason why Paul is so upset with Peter about this. And in verse 14, he says, But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel. The word straightforward there is a Greek word that really it's the word orthopedo. We get our word orthopedic from that. And what, what he's saying is that they're not walking in a straight line. They're, they're not walking consistently in a way that looks like the gospel. And again, as Paul goes on to explain in the next few verses, what Peter was doing is, is that he was saying one thing with his mouth. He was preaching a gospel that salvation is open to everyone who believes. But then he was saying something else with the way he was living and the way he was treating those Gentile Christians as if they were second-class citizens. He was preaching one gospel with his lips, and he was preaching another gospel with his life. And Paul was concerned that Peter's hypocrisy, which again was preaching a false gospel, would keep people from knowing Jesus. And that was serious business to Paul, and that should be serious business to us. And so just because I said earlier 
that hypocrisy is a part of all of our lives, I am not at all trying to communicate a laissez-faire attitude towards our hypocrisy. Our hypocrisy is sin. And whenever and wherever the Holy Spirit of God convicts us of sin, we need to turn away from it. And part of the reason that's so important is that a lost world is watching you and watching me. And they are judging what they think of Jesus based on how much Jesus they see in you. You know, those who grew up in the 80s and the 90s who were DC Talk fans, how many DC Talk fans all dating ourselves right now? Oh, they were great. They had a song, What If I Stumble, that started out with this quote from Brennan Manning. Look at this. The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, walk out the door, and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. The gospel message cannot just be something that we say. It has to be something that we live out. And church, I'm afraid that all of us are guilty of this, that that oftentimes we are undoing with our lives the message that we are trying to communicate with our lips. And the world finds that unbelievable. The world does not understand it when a person who professes to be a Christian sleeps around. And the world does not understand it when a person who professes to be a Christian is the most lazy person in their entire office complex. And a a lot of people just struggle and don't understand it when a person who professes to be a Christian is the most negative, nelly, grumbling, complaining person that they ever have to be around in their whole life. And some people don't understand it when someone who claims to be a Christian is all the time worried and paranoid and fearful about everything that happens in their life when they claim to have a relationship with the Prince of Peace. The world doesn't understand that. And you know what? The world should not understand that. Because if we claim that God has done a transformation in our heart, then a transformation should show up in our lives. It doesn't mean that we'll live that perfectly. Again, we won't do that, but there should be a change. I don't think the world is looking for perfection. They're looking for authenticity. Looking for people who are genuinely seeking to live differently. And they have a right to expect that because of what we say. And that's why all throughout the New Testament, God calls his people to holiness. He calls us to come out from them and to live separately from the world. The the world should be able to distinguish between their lives and our lives. And if they can't, then you know what that, that phrase that was on that video right before the message time becomes a lot more relatable. Right? If your friend looks at your life and says, you know what, there's no difference between you and me and I get to sleep in on Sundays. Right? Why should I bother? They should be able to see a difference. And so, Christian, we need to take this to heart today. We need to repent today of any hypocrisy in our life that the Holy Spirit of God reveals to us. We need to hate that hypocrisy in our lives. We need to hate it just because we hate sin, because we love God. We need to hate it because all sin is an affront to God. We need to hate it because of what it does to our own lives. And we need to hate it also because it puts up a barrier and makes it harder for other people to see what Jesus is really like. There's one more truth about hypocrisy I want to share with you today. And You know, while the last truth was particularly for those of us who, who know Christ, 
That this final truth is for those maybe in this room or maybe listening over the radio right now who, who don't know Christ. And it's for those who have struggled with the hypocrisy that you have seen in the lives of Christians. And so to this point, it's caused you to just to keep your distance. Here's the final truth. I hope you'll hear my heart on this. Don't let imperfect Christians keep you from knowing the perfect Christ who loves you with a perfect love. Like we've talked about, there are no perfect Christians this side of heaven, and the Bible says that we should expect that, that we're not going to be like Jesus until we're with Jesus. And so, friends, you, you should expect your Christian friends to be imperfect people, but to be people who have been changed by God's grace, who are on a a new trajectory in their life, and who little by little are starting to sound and look more like Jesus. And you know what? In your friends who genuinely know Christ, that is what you are going to see. And so, friend, don't let the imperfections you see in your Christian friends, or much less the blatant hypocrisy that you see in some public Christian leader who may not even really be a Christian at all, cause you to think that it's all a bunch of hooey. There are people out there who are fakers, but Jesus Christ is the real deal. And don't let them keep you from knowing him. There are Christians in this world, many in this room that I know, who would give you testimony that their lives have genuinely and eternally been transformed by a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. You know, I I think deep down hypocrisy bothers us so much because we've been hardwired by God. It says this in Romans 2. He's given us a conscience that knows the difference between right and wrong. And we also know that it's wrong to say one thing and to do another, and it bothers us. But here's the thing that we need to take to heart. We all do that. We all do that. We're all hypocrites. I am, and and friend, you are too. But the question is, what do we do with our hypocrisy? What what do we do with it? Where Where can we take it? Where we take it is to the foot of the cross where Jesus came and suffered and died for all of our hypocrisy and for all of our sin. And then he rose again on the third day. Here's how Peter, our our fellow hypocrite, as we've already seen, here's what he said in 1 Peter 3. For Christ also suffered once for sin, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. We're all unjust. Every single one of us, there's only one just, holy, perfect person, and that is Jesus. And he suffered once for all when he hung on that tree in order to bring us to God. And so really, here's the main idea today. We're all imperfect hypocrites, but we have a perfect Savior who died for all of our hypocrisy. If you haven't yet turned your life completely over to the one who died for you, I just plead with you that you would make that step of faith today. That you would give your life to the one who loves you, the one who can save you and me from all our sin, from all our hypocrisy. Would you pray with me? 
Father, I thank you so much that even though we are sinful, fallen, broken people, that you still love us. And that you loved us so much you did something about our sin and our hypocrisy. You did it that first Christmas when you sent us a Savior, your Son, who's the only one who ever lived a perfect, authentic, sinless life. And then he went to the cross and he he died to pay for all of our sin. Father, by your grace, would you help us who know you even this next week to walk closely with you, to lean on your spirit that we might increasingly live lives that are genuine and authentic before a watching world. Help us to give an answer for anyone who asks us a reason for the hope that we have. Help us to do it with, with meekness, gentleness, respect and Father would you speak to anyone here that hasn't yet trusted in you that even today they would take that step I ask it in Jesus name Amen 